Hey everybody, we're back. It's What Would the Smart Party Do? Um, officially something like top 10 role-playing podcasts ever or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm slightly out of the loop. We're, we're hot off the press. It's me over here. It's Gaz over there. Hello, Gaz. Hello, Baz. And fellow number six best podcast of 2018. Woo! Is that three each? To, uh, the e- <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if we did separate podcasts, we'd be third, joint third. Because we're together, it's six apparently. That seems fair. so. Yes, this is the this is the poll. Um, I think there were ninety nine nominations for the best podcast of two thousand eighteen, as conducted by Ian World, uh, and we came six. So thanks very much for all our listeners and voters who supported us. And uh, a brief shout out as well, of course, to the good friends of Jackson Elias who came top. Well done to our fellow Brits, and also the Grognoy Files who came second. So uh, in good company as well. We think. Um, Ken and Kevin Rowan talk about stuff was number four, so we're up there with the greats, Baz. Yeah, Baz and Gaz talk about stuff. It came just a few spots later. That's amazing, though. I nearly fell off my chair when you told me earlier, and you sent me a message, and uh, I, was, I was in the middle of doing something else. That, uh, I nearly swore out loud, which isn't good in front of 29 primary school kids. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> Mind you, I shouldn't really be looking at my smartphone, to be honest. Please don't tell Ofsted. That's true. Uh, but when news comes in that you're like, you know, well, I am still absolutely astonished, and it's all because people have voted for us. So thanks, Smart Posse. It's really good of you to take time out to do that. I massively appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. So I think what we'll have to do is get Ken Height on soon, and then we'll be fifth. That's how it works, right? Because we average it out then. Well, it's so like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like in, in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, mate. You can't get another level of Druid until you've killed the one above you. <laughs> Let's try talking to him first and see how that goes before we kill him. Yeah, but like I said, it's like Dungeons and Dragons. There's no point trying to talk to him. Ace. So that's good. One of the things we've done, actually, or certainly I have, I don't know whether you have, let's throw it out there, um, the new Black Mirror, Bandersnatch. Have you had a go at that on Netflix? No, uh, no I, my geek Venn diagram doesn't intersect with Black Mirror very well because I'm, I'm rubbish with scary things because they're scary <laughs> and I get scared by them and I don't like that feeling. So it's literally too rich for my blood, but, um, but I know you're a lover, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely love uh, Black Mirror and Charlie Brooker stuff but this one may float your boat uh, because it's about uh, sort of retro computer games to an extent or an ex- mm. retro computer game programmer uh, and it's interactive so you play it like a choose your own adventure book like fighting fantasy or something Yeah, which again I'd be falling off my chair because I suddenly realised I've got to press a button yes or no and I only had a limited time to do it and I was like oh what's happening I'm going to get to uh-huh. do it in this is cool. great so um, I, th- I think it might be even more of a momentous event for people who don't play games or have choose your own adventure books because they'll be seeing this as a form of media and thinking wow what do I do next or what mm. decision to make whereas I thought ooh fancy fantasy straight away but you might get something out of it it's probably worth a bit of a look and to any listeners I've had I'll not spoil anything about it but you get to make some choices and then different things happen depending on which choice you make Right. so that's all quite cool um, the weird bit of industry news is that the, the company that does choose your own adventure book is now suing uh, no. <laughs> the Black Mirror team for creating it so really? it's all their ideas yeah, which I thought, well, you didn't invent fighting fancy books, which came first, so you can shut up in my head. Yeah. But I've not looked into all the details of who did it first and all the rest of it, but it seems a bit of a... If they're trying to claim this is their format and no one else has thought of it before, it seems a bit weird. It's probably just some kind of IP thing yeah, that they feel they have to do, or perhaps they're just thinking they can get some money out of it. I don't know. But anyway, check out Band Dispatch on Netflix if you've got it, because it's a 
it's quite fun it's only about an hour an hour and a half I think with all the mm-hmm. choices that you make but it's something interesting and multimedia for change well if, if I watch it it'll last about six minutes because I'll open the wrong door and fall down a pit and then I'll have to <laughs> go back to the opening <laughs> credits <laughs> yeah, that, that potentially happens if you find <laughs> there the you options. go I knew it <laughs> it says let's try that again <laughs> What else is happening? I've noticed that um, the new Savage Worlds Adventure Edition's out, so I've grabbed the PDF, but it's in uh, a mutable form to a degree at the minute, so they're having weekly updates. And if you head on over to the Pinnacle forums, they've got uh, an open thread there where you can go and post any errors, corrections, thoughts, and so forth, and uh, Shane Hensley over at Pinnacle's doing a good job of replying to everybody. It might just be to say, uh, thanks for your thoughts, we disagree with what you said, or something like that, or mm. cheers, exclamation mark. But um, everything's getting read, uh, and that leads me to believe that within a few weeks, what goes to print will be a really tight edition of Savage Worlds. So that's, this is—it's not new, is it? But this is a relatively uh, innovative thing to actually yes. release a game and charge money for it, but to keep it living and keep it going, and uh, and then have it. Well, it's not even a beta, is it? It's a proper thing, but it's just like mm. get your get your own audience who are more invested in it than anybody else to to put their passion into looking it over and giving it a shake before before it hits like you know the proper printers i'm all, I'm all yeah. for that that sounds like a good thing to be honest i think that happened with warhammer as well didn't it warhammer fourth yes yeah uh, and quite a few people did it and, they, and these aren't like you said they're not beaters that are coming out the books that the, you buy or get your hands on early are actually like you know laid out full color or whatever you know they they're well on the way to actually bringing the final product is just more the, the sort of like tweaks at the end and spotting uh, omissions or making clarifications and stuff. It feels a little bit like the Brexit deal now. I need to stop that. But, uh, oh, everything feels like that, mate. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> speaking of, of more than two years of, of loads and loads of hard work and finally putting it to a vote, uh, King of Dungeons is out into playtesters' hands. <laughs> finally, <laughs> I can show up on a podcast and not go, it will definitely be done this year. So um, <laughs> yeah, I finished the proper first draft of, uh, of my role-playing game, uh, as spoken about probably far too much on previous podcasts, and it, it's gone out to um, to a crack team of playtesters who have qualified for the job by saying, "Can I be a playtester, please?" So you know, if you put your hand up mm-hmm. and you volunteer, you get to make history because you, you're bothered enough to do it. So thank you to anybody who's who's contacted me through various messaging services and, and continue to do so, please. It's I'm very, very, very happy to send this draft out to anybody. The only price of admission is, could you please just tell me what you think, whether that's a little bit or a lot of bit or in detail or just broad opinions of how it looks to you. I, I really don't mind. It all goes into the mill uh, and that'll make my game a bit better. So, yeah, here, have a free game on me. Yeah, well done, Baz. Now all I have to do is convince Neil Gow to get his second edition of uh, Duty and Honor out there. I just wanted to beat him. Like to be honest, pressure. I wanted to beat him to the yeah. to the post. <laughs> it's, <so. laughs> it's a good motivation. I like it. We're winning. I'm going to join your team now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, well done on that, Baz. I've seen quite a bit of a positive stuff already coming back for that. So um, that's all great news. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, a thrill of my lifetime when Jonathan Tweet said it was cool. So that's <laughs> I can die now. I can die a very happy man. That's really good. <laughs> I think an autocorrect book is cool sometimes. So you might have just said it's a book. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, you might have done. Well, maybe it was just no, some bloke called Jonathan who sure tweeted me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take it for now until yeah. he tells us different. Hey, I'm putting it on the cover, so he'd better be in. 
<laughs> Five stars. Awesome. Well, now we've mentioned Jonathan Tweet, one of the designers of D&D, we should perhaps move into the, the main topic of tonight, which was to have a little look at the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a cutting edge as always, because this is what yeah. gets you into the top ten of podcasting about games, is to is to do a product review of something that came out at least four years ago. Actually, I'm just going to check in the credits. This is going to be older than I think, isn't it? Oh, man. Probably. I mean, oh, man. I think it was reviewing the player's handbook that got us into the top six this time. So if we yeah. do the DMG, we might get top three next year. <laughs> First printing, December 2014. I wasn't far off. Okay. Oh, nearly five years. Okay. Yeah, I know. Four years. Fair. That's not bad. That's all right. I yeah. mean, the thing is, due to the popularity of D&D, is that people are still buying it right now or just getting into it. So... There's always folk looking for a bit of advice or a new insight on the book, so I don't think we're too out of the loop, actually. Yeah, yeah, and you're absolutely right, mate. And in fairness, these these books, these these hardback core books for D and D Fifth Edition, are still. I mean, I'll check this, but they're still in the Amazon bestsellers list, you know. And I think yeah, they crazy, were on the New York yeah. Times bestsellers list, but they are still on Amazon. Um, and, you know, it's it's just huge. Um, the Dungeon Master's Guide is going to be an interesting one, though, and um, we've picked it for various reasons, haven't we, mate? But, um, but I think one of the things to mention about it straight away is it's kind of the it's the book that doesn't always get bought by D and D players. Um, mm. Player's Handbook is a bit of a must, um, and you know it's not hard to get people to invest into that. Whether they get the online version, a PDF, or, or the hardback, you know, you you'll, people playing D and D, you'll see half a dozen of those strewn about the table. Monster sure. Manual is a bit of a must-have for Dungeon Masters. Dungeon Masters Guide is seen as a bit of a kind of an optional supplement in some ways. Well, that, that's the perception yeah. I think it gets. Do, do you see that? I think for um, uh, previous or existing GMs, definitely, yeah. I think new people coming into it will be like, what do I need? And if I'm yeah. going to run this game, I'll need the DMG. Uh, but I think for like old hands who've played D&D since AD&D or whatever else, like they look at the DMG and think, oh, I kind of know all that. Mm. Unless there's something in there that I'm definitely going to have to use, I can you know they, they can crib rules from just about anywhere on the internet, can't? If you really wanted to, without having to buy yeah. the book necessarily, and I think that's part of the, the thing. Um, I don't know. Quite a lot of people just like having the uh, completest, aren't they? Like having all the set, so they will buy it just out of uh, getting the book. But it's whether they actually read it, and I think that's the that's the key bit here, isn't it? And it's something yeah. we always advocate: is, is reading the GM advice chapters and reading what the people think about GMing and all that kind of stuff. Because it's dead easy to think you know it all or you know enough, and hmm. uh, you can miss out on some really cool stuff just by not, you know, taking the time to have a bit of a read. Really, yeah. So, I mean, the key question is: I guess the reason why we're looking at this is why would anybody want to get themselves a Dungeon Master's Guide for D and D? Why would they want to listen to us about it anyway? Um, I, I guess I don't want to bury the lead. So, I would say. Uh, that the Dungeon Master's Guide is pretty much an essential. I think it's often overlooked and I think that's really, really odd Um, because the Dungeon Master's Guide and this is not going to sound too revolutionary but give it some thought, is it actually shows you how to run games of Dungeons and Dragons now, that is, for a lot of games that's quite unusual. Most games have GM advice as you've alluded to Um, they may even have a separate book that still happens sometimes, doesn't it? But because of the nature of most games, those books tend to be full of setting material, um, maybe some scenario stuff, maybe some very, very generic advice about how to handle uh, failure, uh, how to advance characters. But they don't often get into the nitty gritty of how to make that game your own at the table. But the Dungeon Master's Guide actually does do that for D&D. And I think it, it often 
people assume it's just a GM advice book, and it's I think it's far more than that. Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things there. One is it's the stuff we've mentioned previously about the um, the small press and indie games that were good guides of how to play that type of game. Yeah. So I think it's it's embraced some of that. Certainly, I think there's still some generic stuff in there, but there mm. is definitely more of a feeling in this edition that like this is how you play this particular game, not just role playing in general, but this is how you play D and D. And then it's it's also kind of like the way it's done it and what it's embraced, and it's for people who have played D and D before, and it's kind of like this is version five or next or whatever you want to call it. Like this is how this version of D and D is played mm-hmm. for people who might not, you know, be wondering if they've come from Pathfinder or they haven't played since they played some OSR games or whatever else. It's like what's the new D and D about, or what's D and D current edition about? It's very good for like this is what we're doing for this edition. This is like the yeah. the new thing. So it's a good statement of intent apart from anything else. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I've always loved Dungeon Master's Guides, whether I've been currently playing D&D or not. They've always been kind of like a, a big deal in my gaming life. Best Christmas present I ever received, and it almost, well, it's really early in my days in a hobby, so I've got the first advan- advanced Dungeon and Dragons DMG. Um, the classic one, it was, a, it was a Christmas present, and I, I remember stealing into my parents' wardrobe and sort of peeling off the paper the week before Christmas because I was so desperate to know if it was actually the thing I'd asked for because those books weren't easy to find <laughs> by parents back then. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd read half of it before I opened it on Christmas Day. Um, but it was still an amazing book. and it was. But that one, the original Advanced Dungeons & Dragons book, was, oh man, it was like a car boot sale of stuff. It was, it was a mum, <laughs> mumbo-jumbo potpourri of bits and pieces from spies to... Um, saucy harlot random tables to cost of constructing an observatory Uh, and and I don't think it was well I mean it was obviously just put together by chucking everything into a tumble dryer and hitting fast spin for a minute and then just typing whatever came out so but what a brilliant book though because literally open it anywhere and you you, for the next 10 minutes you'll be either baffled or amazed but there was no point reading it from start to finish that's for sure (laughs) yeah Did that have the stats for like Cthulhu and demons and other stuff in there? I can't remember. Was it, uh, it might have done. It might have done actually. Uh, the, all of that stuff was uh, was in deities and demigods for sure. Till it all got pulled. Um, so stuff like the Morcock estate and some of those other gods that had to get taken out. Um, yeah, but it, it had yeah. all kind. It had everything in it, mate. I learned loads from D and D. People say that, don't they? But it's absolutely true. I didn't know what a trebuchet was, or a glaive gizarm, or even the word like melee or paladin. Learn all mm. that stuff from D and D, and um, they said it would never help me in my daily life. <laughs> Top ten podcaster, eat that, teachers. <laughs> <laughs> I got an extra point in one of my spelling tests at school for annihilate as well. So Ooh. screw Ooh. you guys and say you'll never learn anything. Absolutely. <laughs> so if nothing else, kids, yeah, it's all good. Pick up your DMGs because it will teach you stuff. Um, right, what does this one teach yeah. us then? We've not opened it yet. Let's have a look. Well, we have opened it, but we've not opened it on air. Um, well, I think it does. It's got an introductory bit at first, and I think one of the good bits about that, <clears throat> apart from the first thing it says in bold letters, the Dungeon Master, a Master of Worlds, which gives you the sort of idea about what you might be doing. <laughs> There's also a, a page in there about know your players. I think that's an interesting yeah. item to have in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Is that front and centre saying this is going to be about your players? So you need to know what they want. Or mm. how to give them what they want to a certain degree as well, and give certain styles 
and it has like exploring, fighting, problem solving, optimizing, all the different things that players might want to do. So I think that's quite good. Mm. That one of the first bits about the book for being a dungeon master is go to your players and find out what they want or provide them with things they might want to do. Yeah, uh, what I like about this as well is for a taxonomy of players, for once, it's not actually being mean about anyone because that's very yes. easy to do. And in the past, not not just in D&D, you see this in, in loads of games of vintage, They'll they'll say you know you, you might have like a mad slasher at your table or a rules lawyer and and they're both quite yeah, demeaning things to one, say yeah. about people you know or like you know hack and slash merchant um, and but you know this taxonomy um, is is just a bit more generous and charitable really about like people come to a gaming table for lots of different reasons and those reasons might change over the course of a single session so your job as one of your jobs as a dungeon master if you're playing D and D according to this book is to is to just make it good for everyone at the table. Uh, doesn't mean accommodate yeah. every single wish, but you know, just be prepared to not just have like this is my game and you'd better bend to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that's a move forward. Thankfully, we've moved on a bit from that, haven't we? I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right. So, but it does say as well um, that you are as a dungeon master oh god I wish what a weird term that is dungeon master that's so loaded mm. isn't it it's still it's still yeah. there you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's, nothing good can come from being called a dungeon master I still don't say DM <laughs> uh, and, I, yeah. and I know it, uh, but people do that people call themselves DMs even if they're playing GURPS it's, it's that that pervasive isn't it um, it is for some people yeah um, yeah anyway dungeon master let's not worry uh, about it things you have to do as a dungeon master so what they say is that broad strokes is you've got to be the master of worlds so the first thing to do is that you are really you're the creator of your own world that's interesting um, second thing yes. you've got to be is the master of adventures so you're the person who is writing the adventures you're preparing the sessions for people part three is you're the master of rules you've got to know how the game works I like that I think that's bold I think it's really bold actually uh, because again mm. in most games um that aren't generic if you're going to be playing I don't know Fading Suns you're not really the master of worlds are you you're the you're the translator of someone else's world for your players and yeah. that's true of most games with a setting um, but it is an expectation for D&D that yeah it's your campaign it's your world even if you're playing in something like Greyhawk or whatever or Westeros or, or Middle Earth it's your world um, yeah. I like that I think that's a good shout yeah I like the way that it sort of says it in the introduction and then straight away chapter one it does it again a world of your own mm-hmm. and come up with your assumptions and it's your world and uh, yeah I, I just like that it's it's really like hammering home the message because that's that's the problem with the internet these days oh, one of the many problems with the internet is people will <laughs> try to tell you what your world should be like that's or whether right. you're having your fun correctly and yeah. all that kind of stuff so it's good that the game itself just says never mind all them people <laughs> this is about you and your players yeah that's right um, I mean, and you know, we get straight into to what sort of world is it going to be? And I think there's there's definitely a perception out there with D and D that D and D is its own kind of genre these days. I've got some sympathy for that view, definitely. Um, but you know, people who who aren't into D and D can sometimes think that it's kind of homogenous and that all D and D is the same, and that mm. there's only so much you can do with it because of I don't know, magic missile. People seem to think that that just yeah that, you know, makes the world a one way. Um, but there's there's not that many core assumptions for a D&D world. It is, if you strip away stuff, it's pretty generic underneath it, or a blank canvas if you want to look at it a different way. 
So the only core assumptions they've got is gods oversee the world, so gods are a thing. Um, much of the world is untamed. Okay, fine. All right, so it's pretty, you know, uncivilized. The world is ancient, so there's always going to be some history to look for. Conflict shapes the world history, and the world is magical. Now, you never see people talk about that anymore, but in the DMG there's those five core assumptions. Um, I think it's really nice to have them laid out, because there's still an awful lot of things you can do with those core assumptions, or change them, or take one out, or add another one in. Your campaign world, it really doesn't have that many constrictions on it. I'd say the, you know, maybe the only one that people see as a barrier is the world is magical. I don't think you can get past that. If you want to play a really low magic game, then at least D&D is telling you this is not the game for you. Um, <laughs> you still see people yeah. trying to do no magic D&D, don't you? It's a bit weird. It's like doing no hit point D&D. <laughs> what? Especially when they're like fighters are basically magic powers. So if you're taking yeah. magic out, then you're... <laughs> you're not leaving much. Yeah, it's a bit odd. What, what I find... Um, uh, interesting here is that the the gods oversee the world, but it's the first assumption they make, and it's the first bit mm-hmm. they go into some detail about pantheons and stuff. Yeah, and I would have thought that's one of the least of the the assumptions I want to make out of the world necessarily. Yeah, I think things like uh, is the magic and how powerful is it and that kind of stuff. I think more. So I'm a bit curious as to why they put gods front and center and go into some detail about what the gods might look like and that because that makes it feel a little bit more like uh, Glorantha or RuneQuest in terms of that's about which god you support and all the rest of it so yeah. it's not a big thing I think it's just but it's an interesting design choice that the first thing you want to tell you is like get the gods of your world sorted out and how much effect they have mm. yeah it, that is an interesting choice because um, you know how many times do you sit down and you see a cleric being played or you pick one for yourself and you don't really even give too much of a thought as to a pantheon because you could sit down and play D&D and just be a cleric of generic goodliness and uh, and you'll get a long way with that you can get through 10 yeah. levels before you really have to answer any searching questions about the afterlife or or how much you worship or converting people to your yeah. cause you could you could you could get You're as much out church of england vicar with a mace aren't you yeah pretty much yeah exactly <laughs> c of e with a small c and a ce small c and a small c and a small e so you're right mate it's that's that's an interesting one because um Later on, um, we're going to talk about like you know how do you build a campaign, and you could start from the big stuff and work down. You could start with a pantheon of gods, but I don't know. You're right, mate. It's not something that's massively important in my games. Sometimes it can be if a player decides it wants to be, but I don't really have gods wandering around um, interfering with stuff too much. I always keep them quite distant in my games. That's a preference. Yeah. I think the one thing he does, it it does briefly mention it in the text, um, is that if you're going to have clerics and paladins in your game, because it's D&D and those are two of the classes, why wouldn't you? Mm. Um, that gives them something proper to do, and it's like that avoids that kind of generic cleric question. If you can you know, decide what the gods are and what they're about a little bit, then rather than being a generic cleric, <laughs> it rhymes. Um, you can pick, I don't know, you're a cleric of Bane, god of war and conquest. That's going to definitely flavour how your cleric acts compared to a normal generic cleric that you can imagine. Yeah. I mean, you, you get, you know, you get four or five pages of stuff on pantheons and gods and stuff like that right at the front end. Do you know what? It's an yeah. interesting read. It's actually quite good and it mm. does get you going a little bit. And at the end of it, you start thinking, as you should be, I suppose, if you're going to be a dungeon master. You, you need to think about a lot. You don't necessarily need to do a lot in your campaign. I think that's the one bit of DMing advice I would give anyone is you have to do a lot of thinking 
to be a dungeon master. It doesn't mean you mm. have to do a lot of writing down. It doesn't mean you have to do a lot of preparation. You know, half of the, my D and D campaigns are you give birth to them when you're like commuting or having a shower in the morning or you're out for a run or whatever. But this is yeah. good. This is good food for thought. Oh, gods! What can I do with those? This is this is one of those sort of bits where this will either give you five ideas for adventures or you just go, nah, not bothered. I'll move on. And that's fine. But there's mm. actually really good, interesting little nuggets there that you could spin campaigns out of. Yeah. True that. And then we sort of move on to mapping your campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, well, drawing maps, funnily enough. Yeah. And where do you start? Do you start off on a, a tiny little level and just have what's going on in the village where the players start and a bit around that and then the rest of it is wilds or do you want to create uh, Westeros in your own liking and then plonk the players somewhere in that? I don't know there's there's different ways you can go about it this section does feel a little bit more um, uh, more generic rather than yeah. being specifically D&D &D or as flavourful as the gods bit for example agreed because there is a lot around you know even the artwork's pretty standard this could be a medieval town or village kind of thing but mm -hmm. you know, it is something that you will have to work out certainly if you're creating your own campaign is where do I set it and what does it look like and what do people normal people do wandering mm -hmm. around I think if I have any criticism I perhaps would have liked to see a little bit more about uh, what do local people do in a world where there is magic and there are gods and things like that and what differences yeah. are that makes it different than you can immediately summon to compared to Middle Earth or whatever else that you, you normally read yeah, I agree, mate. I mean, it, we're not talking about massively long chapters here. They pack a lot into like yeah. four or five pages. But you're right. You've got a whole bunch of stuff on forms of government, settlements, that kind of stuff, a bit of commerce and currency. Uh, and actually, sometimes I find that sort of stuff a little bit tedious about bars of gold and how much they weigh. That's slightly too much minutiae for me. And it, um, yeah. it smacks of oh, kind of a pet peeve of mine with role-playing games. We bang on about this every episode is... You know, if you're a dungeon master or a games master, you're not a novelist. You're not trying to, you're not trying to write a story for other people to read. You can be that, yeah. and actually, some of this stuff in the DMG, you can tell that a lot of fantasy authors who do those great big books may well have used this to plot out their worlds and be a world builder. World building mm. is a thing. I get it. I totally get it. But I also think that it's sometimes produced as like you've got to build a world before you can run a game, and that simply isn't the case. It'd be hugely off-putting to a load of people who may be DM curious, but think, "Oh wow, I don't know if I want to do a dissertation or have to buy massive notebooks and start writing all this stuff down." You don't, do you? You can, no, you can skip that. And I think the other thing is it can lead to some of the problems where people go, oh, "I've written this massive big world, and my players aren't exploring it. What should I do about that?" Mm -hmm. uh, which are retroactive advice is getting the TARDIS and go back and don't create the whole world in advance so just, just do enough yeah. to get you going and get you started I think yeah yeah, yeah. okay uh, factions uh, a nice section on magic in your world which helps you understand that this isn't just like you know uh, Surrey or wherever it is you live <laughs> there's gonna be, maybe it is but there's a little bit there about you know what does like teleportation do to the world it kind of answers your question but not in any great depth does it it just says like you know put some magic in your world um and then we get into the meat then we get into like you know how do you create a campaign um wow yeah how do you create a campaign blimey we're on what what are we on like page 24 and we're into like what looks like a massive piece of work. I've, I still feel intimidated by the idea of creating a campaign. Yeah. <laughs> I, might, <laughs> and again, I, I might not do that. 
<laughs> it's they're not doing all of it though, isn't it? And I think it, it actually says right there in the, at the start of the first chapter as well, saying start small, create yeah. a home base. It's that kind of thing. Like don't create the whole campaign up front. So yeah. it's um yeah, it, it's it's taken a good approach to it. Yeah, create and, a home yeah. base, create a local region, craft a starting adventure. Three steps to and that's get all going. you need to get going. That's not a bad yeah, plan, exactly. actually, is it? Not a bad plan at all. That's the sort like of advice you see written down in other words in stuff like Apocalypse World. They just don't write it yes. that way, uh, but that's basically what they mean. It's like, you know, find out where you live, find out what's going on, think a bit about what's around you within, a I don't know, a day's travel or whatever, and then get going. Get a plot on the go and um, see where it takes you. Yeah, and I like the the way that it sort of calls out on the next page about involving the characters as well. Mm-hmm. There's always that thing about why why should I care and what are we doing in this game world and, and all the rest of it. So yeah. once you've got your, your basic starting point, you, the first thing to do is get get your players involved. Really, I says involving the characters, but you kind of want the players to be on board as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. it does say let the players help you tell the story by deciding how the characters are involved. So that's all really good. It's stuff that was missing back in the day when we first started, but it's good to see it called out now that it's everyone at the table's job to get this story going. So don't, as a new DM, think it's all on your shoulders. Really, it's all of you as a group that should be getting this thing going. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, solid advice so far. I think, you know, that's probably a decent reading session there. If you've done, like, you know, 25, 26 pages of DMG, you've sat down for a bit, you've had your cup of tea, you've had a bit of a think about stuff. Loads of good food for thought. Um... And I think it's like it's quite nice now that the very next thing that happens is they start providing you with tools to be a DM rather than just yes. words to read about being a DM. And we start seeing the start of what are many, many, many tables to roll on in this book. And um, I really, really like rolling on tables. I don't know why. I just <laughs> like it. And... Do you know what? I've, I've seen people refer... This, these aren't my words, but I've seen people refer to this DMG before as the hacker's guide to D&D. And I think this is part mm. of it as well because it's... It, as soon as yeah. you start rolling on these, start doing stuff with it, you are you are hacking your world out of raw marble or whatever metaphor I want to stretch to breaking point. But or clay, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, exactly. You are starting to make things happen and it's becoming your world as soon as you roll a D10 on the world-shaking events table. <laughs> Yeah, and I think a lot of the OSR games are stuff like that. That um, the thing that people like about them, in some ways, is all the tables with cool ideas in them. Mm. And then the thing that some people don't like is they say it's all just tables. But it comes from rolling dice on against those tables and coming up with ideas, doesn't it? So it's good yeah. to see that D and D is kind of like taking that approach a bit, but still managed to keep all the words around it as well for people who want to read about stuff. But yeah, I would definitely recommend getting your dice out and just rolling some random stuff to see what you come up with yourself as a starting point. Yeah. Some of this is like really big picture. I mean, the first table is the world shaking events. You don't have, you yeah, don't have to roll table. on that. Maybe yeah. it doesn't matter. But you know, there's there's ten things on a table, all of which would be uh, background stuff for your world. Um, but definitely, it will put a flavour on your world that won't be the same as somebody who rolled a different number on that table. So you know, yeah. the game down the road, well, if you've got like a cataclysmic disaster and they've got like you know, um, an extinction event those are two different things necessarily in your world and you've got two different campaigns straight away it's good yeah and as well 
Well, everybody's different, aren't they? As people mm. say, DMs always say that every group of players is different, and everybody, every table is. So you can guarantee that the game down the road that also rolled a three for Cataclysmic Disaster would think of a different Cataclysmic event than your table did. So even rolling the same number for different groups will mean different things. So it's good yeah, to have. Right. Uh, each of them have got a subtable to flesh it out even a bit more. So you know, you've got nice. an, yeah. another set of subtables. Here. Terrific. Right. So there's some good stuff there to get the really, really big picture. They don't dwell on it forever. But you've got enough there for if you've opened up a brand new notebook, because gamers like buying notebooks, don't they? Or you've opened up a new Word doc or something like that. This is the stuff you're going to put in capital letters near the top. I've got some gods and I've got a planet and I'm thinking of continents. And yeah, this is what's going on. There's been an invasion from the south and boom. Um, But it needs to get a bit more real fairly quickly, doesn't it? So um, so the, the, the book moves on. And starts then talking about whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold your hold hold your horses there, Nilly, before you start going <laughs> off and drawing continents and naming volcanoes and looking at ten thousand year historical timelines. Let's talk a bit about playstyle. So that's I think that's that's really nice. You go straight from creativity into oh, let's think about that. You know what sort of game you want to play? What sort of tone does it want to have? How do you want to play this game? It's not just a collection of encyclopedic facts about mountain ranges and jungles and factions it's what what is your D&D going to feel like and again people who don't play D&D think there's only one way and there's not there's a hundred different ways yeah and it's um, I think some of the art and stuff uh, helps with that a little bit because as you uh, whizzing past your uh, sections of this this book you get past your tables and then one of the first warriors in inverted comes you see is kind of like pseudo hellenic roman maybe in a chariot big sun mm-hmm. behind uh copy style sword and that kind of stuff so that's um that's probably a fighter in inverted commas but you say fighters are someone who's just playing in inverted commas generic dnd they'd have a very different image so it's good as well that complementing all the text we've got we've got some different styles of imagery and different uh ethnicities and types of character just to get your imagination firing a little bit yeah I, I really like the art in 5th edition it's it's a little bit more grounded than it had been in the previous yeah. couple where things were a bit more a bit more sort of high adventure a bit more over the top perhaps uh, you know and I like it for that which is fine but, but this stuff looks like you know fairly I'm not going to say realistic that's not the word I'm looking for but it's just stuff that you think you can adventure with um People yeah, look it's a probably relatable. Fragile, relatable is perfect word. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, that's that's the word I was looking for. So you've got what looks like a. Um, there's lots of nice pictures of group shots of adventuring parties doing adventuring party stuff. So Which is good. Yeah, yeah. Not not doing like you know uh, triple salcos over the head of a red dragon wielding five <laughs> spears, but you know <laughs> tentatively moving downstairs and being nervous. Which is <laughs> a little bit of playstyle there, and the game yeah, accommodates yeah, both, yeah. but. It seems to encourage, like you know, these are. This isn't beyond you. You can you can run games like this. It's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's there's nice little bits as you go along as well. Like um, in that section, it goes about character names. It basically just says like, don't give your characters stupid names. Yeah. Like Bob, and then another when you make a second fighter, call him Bob Two and stuff like that. Like just don't <laughs> do it. So, <laughs> which is what normal people think anyway everybody's been through gaming groups where that sort of things happens uh, so it's good to see that D&D goes like just you know don't just yeah. pick, pick a name that's suitable for your setting you know it, it does mean in. saying out loud doesn't it and, and it I seems like to, that. Yeah. I, I think 
this right unlike a lot of D, G, games masters guides that you see for games this this dungeon master's guide has the benefit of having an awful lot of people have played D&D before they've written this so it's yes. it's founded in actual play it's not theoretical it's not like here's my new game this is how i think you should play it and i know i've written stuff like that this is like do you know what we've been playing this for 30 40 years now and people still rock up to your like gritty dark urban adventure and say can i call my character like a candlewick or something like that yeah. no you can't although that wasn't actually an awful <laughs> name but you know. <laughs> mr yeah. jelly no you can't be called mr jelly jesus christ exactly exactly right so that that's all good as well. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh yeah, because then it sort of like goes into styles as well, don't it? Because I see mm-hmm. there it mentions character name dependent on the style of your game, and you, you might be thinking, well, how many different styles could you have for D anD D? But it goes into like variations of themes and mm. all that kind of stuff as well. So you can have anything from like a swashbuckling type game to a, a wuxia sort of like waifu oriental style game or something like that. Or you know, yeah. is it going to be classic sword and sorcery or heroic fantasy or something? So. Um, it's it's good as well this book at laying out lots of different ways you might play rather than just as you say that stereotypical idea that some people have about D&D being a kind of fantastical Middle Earth and that's all there is to it mm-hmm. yeah it's uh, it's really interesting because of course D&D of the 90s which is like our jam <laughs> um, that's when D&D had a lot of official campaign settings um, it's just, just to list a couple Dark Sun Planescape, uh, Greyhawk, Dragonlance, Forgotten Realms, um, and Birthright, Red Steel. More than I could mention, and people will be going, ah, you forgot to mention Spelljammer. No, I didn't just mention it. <laughs> but all very, very different to each other, but all D&D. Yeah. And again, I think this just gets forgotten. I think sometimes you can see so much stuff out there for D&D, so much Adventurers League, organised play, um, stuff you see on Twitch, and it it can look like it's all a bit vanilla and a bit grey goo. It doesn't have to be mm. that way at all. And and again, I think people gloss over this Dungeon Master's Guide. I think they think that's all right. I know what to do. I'm going to have a I'm going to stick my village in a little forested area, and there's going to be orcs in the forest nearby, and there'll be a goblin raid, and there'll be some caves, and there'll be a castle over the hill. That's fine. But if you genuinely have a look just through the first couple of chapters of this, you you should be thinking about Hellenic warriors on golden chariots charging across an ashen plain. You should be thinking mm. about uh, maybe a an incoming war, and not necessarily just some just orcs being leery, but just something a bit different. You know, like some <laughs> weird religious cult has come to take over. It does get your imagination going, thinking about that big picture and about the possibilities that you can have from what is actually a reasonably generic rule set yes yeah yeah and I think it's something we've always um, called out for things like Savage Worlds which you say is a good uh, toolkit rule system but you're supposed to put your own trappings on top of it yeah uh, and it's it's the same but in a slightly different way but it's, it's that with D&D it's giving you a, a style of game and then on top of that it's you kind of you put what flavour you want on top yeah yeah exactly now the next big chunk of this in the first part where it's talking about world building it does go into creating a multiverse. I'm going to say mm. right now, I don't think that needs to be your first or even second or even third step. Uh, <laughs> correct, yes. <laughs> it might be okay to think about these when you're, when you're on your own and you're thinking about your epic fantasy trilogy that's going to have you at the top of the New York Times bestsellers. But actually, um, 
in your role playing game because we're coming at this from the basis that there's probably a bunch of people who want to run games really mm. unsure about how best to do it and there's a book on the market you can buy that guides you through that process but people don't really buy that book or read it but I, yeah. I think people do want to run games and I'm going to say skip that chapter <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean I'd swap it would you? not necessarily with not necessarily chop it with chapter eight, which is running the game, which I would suggest might want to come earlier. <laughs> but if I'm at chapter two reading about creating a multiverse and I don't know how to run the game yet, I would suggest maybe the chapters aren't in the best order. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind the multiverse chapter. I think it's fine. I just don't think it's chapter two. Um, no. So yes, I'd take your advice. That doesn't mean you have to rip it out of your book and print stick it back in at the end or anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can read in whatever order you want to. But yeah, I agree with you, Baz. That if you're coming to this fairly new, it's an interesting read, and it'd be cool to think about what like extra planar travel and where else you might go if you went through portals that a magician's mm-hmm. created. Uh, but you don't need it early on necessarily. You can definitely no. leave that for a while. Now, a, a bit of a hot tip here, mate. This is what I do with planes in my game. This will be heresy to anybody who's really into planescape and stuff like that. I take all the best ideas of stuff that's happening in other planes and I stick them in the adventuring world as geographical locations. So if you've got like something yeah. like the Feywild, which is all about the Fey and the realms of the elves, there's some amazing stuff in there. It's really inspirational. Why don't I just stick that in the little willow forest just down the road? instead of having to be 25th level and go there on a magic ship you could just walk there or be kidnapped and taken there I think it should be something that you can walk into literally yes. walk into and find it around the corner and that makes the whole world more magical because by taking all this really cool stuff and putting it in other dimensions you're leaving your home dimension a bit dry so wedge it in there because it kind to. of yeah, it sort of excludes you having that in your home dimension then because there's yeah. another plane that does it so it feels like a bit of a cheat to to remove it from there and bring it back into the real world if you're going to then have a plane of it. But yeah, yeah, the same. I looked at like, for example, the the plane of fire or whatever it is, and that's all about you know deserts and city of brass and ifrit and all the Arabian night stuff. It's like, well, cool, just have like a desert bit of your current world and yeah. have that kind of thing in there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah, so it's still got good ideas in there if you want to just put them in the normal world where you're adventuring anyway. To be fair, so I suppose from that point of view, it's worth reading just to get some ideas if you're thinking of what might spot your imagination yeah it does let you know that you're playing in a high fantasy world um, oh, no, that was one of the core assumptions about the gods I think mate to just circle back around to that when they talk about the core assumptions of the gods what they really mean is that one of the core assumptions is that the gods have homes that you can go to and yes. that's what those extra planar bits are you know there's there's I suppose an end goal if it's a game of exploration is to eventually explore your character's versions of heaven and hell and all the rest of it that goes mm-hmm. along with that so I think what it's doing is it's just it's just making it making it obvious early on that this is a long game <laughs> there's yeah, a wide game and a deep a game you can go a long way but I don't think it needs to be only notepad on like I'm running no. D&D next Tuesday for my friends for the first time what do I need? I need a Pantheon no you don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think a bit of it may just be a bit of a hangover or not a hangover that makes it sound bad but a call back to earlier editions when things like Elric and Stormbringer and those sort of novels were about and were including D&D because they were like state of the art at the time so there's a little bit of that yeah. um, who are your god and you go to where he lives and you make pacts with people from other dimensions and stuff there's probably just some of that in there as well that's, that's mm-hmm. kept alive through the, the DNA of D&D. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right, I want to get to part two, mate, of the DMG, which is a big, big old chunk of it, to be fair. It's, um, and it's the bit about creating adventures. Um, yeah. Where do you stand, mate? If, you, if you're a newish, newish GM, um, and you've, you've, you want to be a GM and you want to be a better GM, I know you create your own adventures, but is that something that you would suggest to people who are getting into being a GM? Because it's not the only route, it's not the only vector into being a GM, is it? Yes, I think what a lot of companies are doing that's quite good at the minute is producing starter kits and have specifically yeah. starting adventures or are starting adventure. And I think they're good. And if, I think having, even if you don't run that scenario, just buying it and reading through it to see what it does and what steps it takes you through. I think they're worth having. So as a routine, I don't mind a specifically created starting adventure. A yep. bit like in video games where you get training bits and pieces and everyone wants to skip through the tutorials because they think, I know all this, and then they hold the sword the wrong way around when they get into the real fight <laughs> and stuff. So it's it's worth having a look at that kind of stuff. But um, certainly if you check out the videos of Matt Colville and people like that who've like talked you through what your first adventure might look like with your players and stuff, I think there's enough material out there, and especially with what's in the DMG as well, that you could just create your own little adventure. And I think yeah. that's what quite a few people are doing these days uh, and finding fun. So I don't think there's any shame in either way. I think it is worth checking out starter-specific adventures because that'll give you some clues mm-hmm. as to how you might structure yours. Um, but with some guidance that you've got in the book and that's online, you could definitely create your own to get going. Yeah. It's... um. D&D's got a really good starter adventure in a, in a separate product in the starter set funnily enough um, and that mm. adventure has got a really good reputation uh, deservedly so it's a really nice thing and it'll keep you going for ages um, the Dungeon Master's Guide does not have an adventure in it <laughs> so I don't know if that's an oversight or not Okay, because previous Dungeon Master's Guides have had adventures in it this one doesn't instead it, it really is encouraging you to get on and roll your own um, or to grab something else and twist it and shape it and make it your own. Um, I, I I don't recommend getting one of the great big wizards of the coast hardbacks as your first adventure. It might be no. tempting because you no. think it's oh it's all done for me then, isn't it? Not at all. Um, far far better I would say is to is to just start with part two of the Dungeon Master's Guide: Creating an Adventure, which takes you step by step through how to create an adventure. And I think it's really solid advice. I've used it. I've yeah. rolled on the tables. I've tried to do it uh, quite strictly, and other times I've done loosey goosey and just picked things off tables and used some and not used others. It's always generated loads of great ideas, and actually, it doesn't take very long at all. Nowhere near as long as reading, say, Tomb of Annihilation, which is a couple mm. of hundred pages long and quite dense. Um, yes, uh, it, and it, and it feels like lonely fun. But it's a core part of gaming. If you're the GM, get used to this. It's quite nice to sit down with a notebook, roll a few dice, and and imagine stuff. That's that, that's what we come here for. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it depends for people how much money they've got in their pocket. But for me, the fact that there isn't a starting adventure and it is a separate product, I think is a good thing. Yeah, I think that otherwise, uh, like anybody who doesn't want it, or anyone who does want it but played it once, they've then got dead pages in the in the guide. It's stuff yeah, they'll never look at again, true. you know. And I like that it's separated. I appreciate that that means there's another product to buy if you want it. But like you mm-hmm. say, the building—it's not that it leaves you absolutely, you know, without anything to do because it gives you all the tools you need to build up your own adventure, which I think's uh, perfectly credible rather than a published adventure because it's mm-hmm. already gone through like find out what your players want and put things in for them. 
and their characters. So you've already done like half of what might happen in the first scenario anyway, because you've been thinking about what things to put in there for the specific character types that you've got. Mm. Um, and it's got good bits and pieces around, you know, having a credible threat and having twists uh, make the focus really clear as well. That's something that some adventures definitely suffer for that are out there where the players just don't know what to do or they're in a, in a scene and they don't know how to get out of the scene or what they're supposed to be doing and that mm-hmm. takes it away from being interesting to being boring and the last thing you want your D&D game to be is boring so yeah full play to the fair play rather to them for um, pushing those sort of ideas out first and of course as you've mentioned before it's got a bunch of tables so it's not like you even have to just sit there and think stuff up long and you can just roll on some tables and see what comes out and then yeah. try and think around that and if you don't like it roll again and then see what you think yeah uh, I've got to say mate that elements of a great adventure that you've just alluded to is a really solid checklist for anyone who's yes. looking at an adventure who's reviewing an adventure or writing one um, there's not many there I'll take you through them you've mentioned a couple a credible threat right okay I've, I've played adventures that don't have that <laughs> so that's yeah, <laughs> and and sometimes they feel a bit flat because there's no nothing pushing you forward. Um, a nebulous so, threat's not good, is it? No, no, or an incredible threat. So, uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the second one is familiar tropes with clever twists. I've always been a massive fan of that. Familiar tropes get your players into the setting without you having to be a master of description. Yeah, and clever twists makes them remember what it is you've done. I, I like that a lot, um, and that could be something as simple as like you know having uh, goblins with uh, with sort of like a chalky coloured makeup all over their faces, and just being a bit sort of like undead and weird and voodoo style. You know, that's that's a familiar trope with a cultural twist that I've just thought up off the top of my head. So therefore, it's rubbish, but that's enough to make it a little bit more memorable than just here come the goblins. Yes. Um, clear focus on the present. Oh man. <laughs> what you mean you don't oh, need 2000 so... years of history before you start Baz <laughs> oh well I mean oh. The, the, the negative of that a clear focus on the present as opposed to a vague focus on the past that no one cares about which seems to be the driving force for a lot of the landfill that I've bought off of drive through oh my goodness uh, yeah right moving on heroes who matter so the adventures the adventurer's actions and decisions have to matter. Oh, I've you and I have read entire books which have uh, and, and and pages and pages of internet forums which have, have really tried to talk about player agency. What a, what a good thing to see that in you're creating an adventure. What the heroes doing it has to matter to yes. actually spell that out. That's that's another massive tick in the box for me and it's another piece of the checklist that that sometimes <laughs> designers manage to give the swerve to um, well, something for all player types now we alluded to that earlier it's not exclusionary it's not saying like you know um, I think it's perfectly legit to be writing an investigation scenario but if your player types include people who don't get their jollies from investigations can you really expect your adventure to work for everyone at the table of course you can't um, you can't make people be what you want them to be to help your master plan that just doesn't work um, and then the last couple of bits is surprises look for opportunities to surprise and delight your players that yeah, phrase cool. always amuses me yeah <laughs> I don't know how you know that surprise is going to delight your players I don't, I'm not sure any of players have ever been delighted in the best part of 40 years yeah, <laughs> they've been surprised lots of times though <laughs> 
people take a weird kind of delight though don't they you know you know yeah. like um even like a uh like telling it telling an adventurer that the dragon's attack bit their leg off that's a surprise but people do <laughs> kind of quite like that once they get over the initial shock it's like cool i'm gonna have a peg leg or something um you know just finding these sort of strange things i mean it used to be Again, I love that this has made a return to D&D now. If you're a first-level character trolling about, there's nothing wrong with giving a character like a ring of three wishes. I mean, that used mm. to be like a kind of against the law, almost, for D&D. But, but that's, that's a surprise, uh, and there'll be unintended consequences, but surely that's the point of playing role-playing games, is to find out what those unintended consequences are. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last good. thing is useful maps. Useful maps. Not, not yes. maps. Useful maps. Useful ones. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> what a good checklist, mate. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's seven things. Um, uh, over the course of a page there, there's so much wisdom in that stuff. I, I think that's... Oh, man alive. I feel like laminating that. I, I need to read it back. Yeah. And, and the, there's bits with it, like the useful maps bit says... It's, you're presenting the characters with options so you'll have stuff on that map where it's things they can point at and go I want to go and look at that or I want to investigate mm. it and it's that kind of uh, yeah I just like the, the folding in again of like you're not doing this to show off how good your map making skills are or what you've pulled yeah. off the internet and look at how pretty it is it's like it's got a, a game reason why you're doing it as GM or DM sorry mm. all good like all that yeah okay um, quick chat about published adventures I think it's worth having um it's good because you can sometimes assume if I buy a published adventure, it'll all be set up for me. It's got to read it and play, right? Not mm. at all. Um, you you have to get your highlighter out. Uh, heresy, though, that is you you need to take notes with published adventures. It, you, there are a couple of it, there are exceptions to that, but generally speaking, you you have to put more time into a published adventure than you think you will uh, because True. you're reading somebody else's ideas and you've got to pass it for yourself before you can explain it to your group and actually that takes a little bit of planning so it's not a shortcut uh, and published adventures aren't a bad thing um, but they're not the shortcut they're not always the quick and easy gaming fix that you think they're going to be um, and then we're into like, you know, adventures themselves um, how to actually make them happen we've taken a little while to get here mate but it's about to tell us how to write an adventure that's not bad is it? that's alright yeah, yeah. And it's still in the first hundred pages of the book I think that's fine Especially if you skipped over the portals chapter, I've got here a lot quick. Yeah, well, there you go. That's true. That's true. Okay, so uh, there's a bit of discussion about structure, which goes on about beginning, middle, end. That seems obvious. Uh, and then we talk about types, and and it gets straight into the idea of a location-based adventure, which again, a lot of people might think is the only type of adventure that D and D really supports, because you've got like keyed maps with halls and corridors and. Uh, and dungeon rooms that's your location based adventure um, and they then give the option as well of event based adventures uh, which I think classically you might call a call a Cthulhu type thing I don't know if that's fair but those sort of adventures where you know stuff happens and it doesn't really matter where you are when it happens it's about the event yeah there's like, like an arc event happening yeah yeah uh, and it then offers up mysteries and intrigue as two other types of adventures and then there's a way of blending all of these things together because actually some of the best adventures will be a little bit of each and some of one and not enough of the other and so on um, yeah, yeah but there's loads of things, I, I, I think it's cool for that yeah so you've got like dungeon based adventures and wilderness based ones and there's no harm in having your wilderness 
best adventure first to get to the dungeon and then do the dungeon one you do afterwards yeah. all that kind of stuff's fine it's good to have the options there's bits where it says start with a villain and then you work out what's why the villainous what's up with them you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. give them a bit of motivation and why is that causing a problem it's mm-hmm. all stuff for uh, firing ideas which I really like yeah it's got a really nice table mate the, the one of the biggest tables in the book today it's um, framing events and it says you can have an entire adventure based on a framing event or just use it to grab the player's interest. It's got loads of really cool one-liners here, which, which yeah, which will, will act as a framing event for your, for your adventure and, and it will almost give you like something to go off straight away. So I'll just pick something just randomly off of it. Procession of ghosts. Three words. Uh, that's, that fires the imagination. A procession of ghosts. And the idea is that that either gives you the impetus for adventure, or you put it into your adventure at some point. And the adventure that that's an event, but it could also happen at a location. A location. It could include intrigue. There's bound to be some mystery. It's kind of hitting all of those little keys. That little event, but you can't ignore it, can you? Because uh, if you do, you just feel that. Well, where's the procession going, and where's it coming from? There's questions <laughs> that need answering, and that's what adventurers do. And that's just one of about 50 different things on that single table. That's clever. Yeah, and I think if you use them, you could just use them. I was thinking uh, earlier, was when I mentioned that some of the village creation and all that kind of stuff is a little bit boring and a bit generic. Mm. Um, If you pair it with this table, all of a sudden it's great. And every single village, town or whatever else you visit, you're on this table to see what's happening as the players turn up. All of a sudden it's like an execution's taking place or it's... um, you know, a remembrance for soldiers in the Lost War or something like that. And yeah. that all of a sudden makes your generic village seem a lot more alive and interesting and there's something going on and something the players might ask about. Mm-hmm. So that's all yeah. good. I like all yeah. that. Yeah, it's clever, clever, clever. Um, and then immediately after that, they talk about complications. So how to put little twists into your game uh, with quandaries and stuff like that. And, you know, over the course of a few pages there, you've, you've got what I would call page one of your notes for your adventure. Um like you a, haven't got any yeah, real detail quite in silly, yet, but you know where it's going. Yeah. I could see me me or you or well, many people to be honest, but as we're sat here talking, us two, going through that and you know, I'd have three or four adventures I would think, after one like go through those tables. Mm. There'd be a bunch of stuff that we could easily make for, you know, multiple sessions rather than just one. So there's plenty there for a, a new new DM to put down on paper and get something out of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this is really solid stuff. I mean, as I say, I've tried rolling on these tables to generate something, and uh, more than once, it's always generated something interesting. Sometimes I've not been able to figure out how A fits to B to C. It's, it's like, uh, okay. So, you know, you don't have to be a slave to the table. My favourite thing to do is to roll twice on a table and pick one. Then I feel like I've had some choice in the matter as well. <laughs> and you get to win, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's enough of a variety. But I find that. I'm not very good with a blank sheet of paper. I, I kind of need that that spur to the get seed to get going. Yeah, yeah. Once the seed's there, I could take it in all kinds of different directions. But looking at a blinking cursor on a blank word document is terrifying. So roll up a few things and see where it takes you. And um, you know, you don't have to be too precious about it. If you don't like the combination or you can't think of anything straight away, just re-roll an element of it, and um, it will take you somewhere else. Yeah. And then the next bit kind of goes into creating encounters. And that that's where it gets a bit more nuts and bolts about yeah. how hard you want it to be depending on the character level and how much XP they should get and that kind of stuff, which is all fine. That's just mechanics of the game, really, isn't it? It's specifically D&D. Uh, it's not awesome as 
<laughs> to be honest, because um, if if you are if, well, if you know what you're doing as a DM, if you try and use those encounter building guidelines, I think they have not they've not been errated, but they've had to publish a reasonable amount of advice to give you some clues as to how to use it. It's actually not that mechanically sturdy, um, right? But it's because you you might fall into the trap of thinking if I follow these six instructions and follow this protocol, it will guarantee me a balanced encounter, and there's no such thing. So yeah. that just doesn't work. Um, but it it will get you there. It will get you there. It's you only need a some few pages. Don't you? you do need, yeah. and it's easier to ignore guidelines that are there than to come up with them from whole cloth yourself. From scratch. So there's yeah, that. Exactly. So you can ignore them. And I would suggest you know don't be too beholden to them. Um, the best way to figure out whether encounters are balanced or not is after the event. <laughs> Throw the players in, and, mm -hmm. and then you'll figure it out <laughs> as you go along through trial and error. <laughs> And then you've always got the defence, though. Like, I just did what the book told me. It's not my fault, guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Encourage people to run away. It will do them good. <laughs> but but sort of like mixed in there as well. Like it's kind of got um, how much XP for an adventuring day and stuff like that. So it gives you the idea yeah. that you know you, you are adventuring during the day, and if you're just travelling somewhere or something, there's a, an idea of sort of levels of what you should be getting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I like the the next bit just after there, where it says fun combat encounters. Where you know all combat encounters <laughs> should be fun, really. But I like the way it makes yeah. you think about it a little more. It's only at least like I say, it's four or five really short one-line paragraphs kind of thing, mm. but it does just point out that you should think about um, the features of the terrain that you're in, or something about the the foes that you're fighting, or something, just to make it a bit more uh, interesting than just saying there's ten goblins attacking you. It's kind of mm -hmm. you know. Has one got an eye patch? Is one set on fire? What's you know what's around in the local area? Why have they ambushed you? Just give it a bit more of a a flavour element. So it's not a massive section, like I said, but it's useful that someone's pointed it out again in the game to say, "Come on, think about it a little bit and make it more fun for the players." Yeah, now this bit this bit really needs that separate book, like a monster manual or something of that nature, to really mm. make it fire. So this is kind of like the the uh, the. Uh, the owner's manual for a big book of monsters because yes. we're not doing the monster manual today but if we were I would say it is nothing but a manual of monsters it doesn't tell you what to do with them at all it's just like a big list this yeah. is the book that gives you some clues as to how to do that um, and the next section which I think is great is about random encounters because mm. it tells you how to make a random encounter thing that works for your table so not only is it giving you loads of random tables to inspire you it's telling you how to make one for yourself for future inspiration. So I think that's that's a legitimate thing to do to encourage people to give themselves tools that they will use at their table later rather than plotting everything out exactly. It's like this is your this is your inspiration mat. Um, and it's got a really decent example of a Sylvan Forest encounter which is made up using those guidelines. Um, that's a great thing to have. If you're a new GM, a new DM and you've been encouraged to make your own random table just the act of doing it will fire your brain off in loads of different directions and that plus your framing events and your big campaign stuff I'd argue you could go at that point you, you're nearly ready launch yes. campaign <laughs> yeah I like the um, the juxtaposition of the the, the sentence of what follows so you kind of you got a one line sentence where it says checking for him it says you can decide when it happens or you can roll 
and then there exists a lot of words after that about what you do if you want to roll. So <laughs> I like the fact that it gives you the option of not rolling, but like, the book's really telling you that you should be rolling dice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. what it encourages to do based on the design goals. And I think as a new DM, that's the sort of thing that, that I'll enable you to get a bit more interest in what's happening, have unexpected things happen in your game, is when you're yeah. rolling randomly to see what turns up next and that kind of thing. Yeah. It takes a little bit of forethought as to what might happen if those things do happen, but if you built the table yeah. yourself, you should have thought about it already. And it's good to just have a little bit of variety so that it spices things up for you as well. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, and that sort of takes you to the end of the creating your adventure bit. And I think we, we've, we've kind of, we've, by necessity, we've had to skim it. It's actually not that many pages, but they're gold. They're absolutely gold just because of the, the random tables and and the stuff that will just get you going at that point. I mean, there's loads more in the book, and maybe we'll come back, swing back round to that maybe in future episodes and what mm. have you. But I think, do you know what? You've got up to page, you're, you're still at under 100 pages, and mm. they've done a world, a universe, a pantheon, and creating adventures. And there's a lot of words in this, and a lot of evocative art, and a lot of genuine, practical help that yeah. if you read it, follow it, write stuff down I think I, I don't know why people go you don't need the DMG because I know how to dungeon master I think I think that's pretty arrogant <laughs> so you know I think even the most experienced people will get stuff from this I do I, I really yeah, yeah, do yeah. get loads from it that's like saying I don't need to train uh, in martial arts I'm just going to go into the UFC <laughs> you, you will definitely go in a cage and fight someone but <laughs> the results might be markedly different oh, <laughs> My, my so, kids tried to tell me this morning they didn't want to go to school today. I said, "Why not?" I said, "Well, I think we know enough." <laughs> <laughs> They've been listening to you talking to your wife, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know what? Even just going through those um, those first three chapters there as a skim review, I now want to go back and actually roll some dice against them and do some stuff. You know, it's that kind yeah. of. Like you say, even if you're not getting a massive amount out of it, or you think you know quite a lot, I think it's good enough that when you read, it, you go, "Oh, this is cool! I'm going to make an adventure and see what happens." Yeah, yeah. Well, listen. I mean, I'm super conscious of time for this for this cast for this episode tonight, but I, I feel I feel there's a lot more juice to get out of the DMG, and maybe we could put together some practical examples for people as well. Certainly, mm. some stuff for uh, for future casts, or maybe as a little side project for our Patreon. So, you know. Um, Maybe uh, maybe when we get off air, mate, we'll get our bits of paper out, roll some d10s, and um, and, and come back around and let people know like uh, what the, what the smart party starter adventure would look like based on random rolls and weird inspirations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I think yes, we're, we're gonna have to do a part two, aren't we, of the rest of the DMG? Maybe a part At three least. as well. Depends how we get on. Yeah, possibly. If we go back round to doing the multiverse, that I think no one would blame us for taking more than one podcast to describe a multiverse. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. Uh, yeah, but hopefully that's given people a bit of a flavour of the start of the DMG at least, and that it's it's worth going through. Certainly if you're new to gaming, but even if you're not, um, just to have a bit of a an overview of how to do D and D as opposed to just a generic role playing game. I think that's yeah. well worth it. Although incidentally, at this point, is not massively D and D specific. It gives you. It, obviously it leans on the fact that you've got those core assumptions of high magic and monsters and civilization but but that's true of a lot of fantasy role playing games so at yeah. this point you know later on it gets a bit more D&D but right now for the price of entry I'd say you've got a really good adventure generator for Merp or for Savage Worlds or for a bunch of different fantasy role playing games 
Yes, I don't I don't disagree with you on that. I think what I'm thinking of is it has stuff like wandering monster tables, which I think a lot of people dispense with in other games or other fantasy games, for yeah. example, which yeah. used to be a staple. And then people went, mm-hmm. Oh, that's D and D and threw it out. Well this gives yeah. you a good example of why you'd have them. You yes. know, and that and that kind of thing. So it's doing that that D and D thing but explaining why we have them in D and D rather than just you know uh I'm trying to articulate it. I think it, I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is that it, it kind of negates some of that negative images that people have of D&D and thinking, why would I have that? And I thrown that out, and that's something I did when I was 10 years old, and now I'm not doing it. it yeah. It's good to, re- to go through it again and think about why was that there in the first place and why would I have it now? That kind that's of thing. it. And when you're playing your, your more modern games like Blades in the Dark or Mutant Year Zeroes and things like that, which are ostensibly low-prep games, they rely heavily on inspiration, and they, they may not necessarily use a random table but they are saying, like, you know, react to what's happening at your table. And a, and a roll of the dice on a random monster table is low prep reacting to what you see at the table. Mm. They're, they're, they definitely, there's some overlap there. And I think it's a, I think it's an ancient piece of technology, but it's been tarted up and it's been explained quite well, which maybe it wasn't back in the day if you played a game where all your DM ever did was say, okay, 10 minutes later, rolls dice, 1d4 Sturges, rolls dice. They attack, <laughs> rolls dice. <laughs> yeah, he's a bit rubbish. And then you ask, what are the Sturges doing in my pub bedroom or whatever? <laughs> 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 Where they under the bed? Where did they come from? And why is there a beholder next door? This is weird. <laughs> you asked those questions, and then that's why you went and bought other role-playing games. <laughs> Some people didn't ask those questions, and they're now 25th level. <laughs> quite possibly alright then Baz I think we, we're done with the first three chapters of the DMG and yeah. uh, we'll have to swing back around with some rolls on random tables and the, the rest of the chapters at a later date cool yeah I'm looking forward to that alright well, we'll see you next time guys when there's more stuff forthcoming uh, thanks for your votes again in that podcast thing and as always massive massive thanks to our Patreons for keeping us on the road um yeah it really counts guys it really does help in these dark days of january it helps us get motivated to bring you more stuff so thank you for that thanks for all your support guys and um, we'll see you next time do you want to do if i do the countdown do you want to do the intro this time since why it's not? D&D? why <laughs> okay <laughs> Because <laughs> that's that's yeah, how we do it, right? Who's <laughs> yeah. doing you do it? Who's not? That's one for the outtakes, right there. Right, count me down because you don't trust me okay. with counting down, but you do trust me with Dungeons and Dragons. I love that. You I might count you counting up, but you down. There's no chance. Right. <laughs> Here we go. Three, two, one.